This podcast may include content of graphic nature, including descriptions of physical and sexual violence on adults, kids and animals. Viewer discretion advised. Hi and welcome to True Crime Obsessed Mum. I am your True Crime Obsessed Mum, Amy. I hope you have all had a great week. Um, a little bit of true crime news this week, which I think is good news. Rodney Akala, the game show killer, died this week. He was on death row anyway, but yeah, nature got there first. So yeah, he has gone. If you don't know about the game show killer, Rodney was on the dating show, the dating game, back in, I believe, the 80s. Um, and, yeah, the, he won it. And the lady that was supposed to go on the date with him declined and said she didn't want to date him because he was creepy. And he turned out to be a really bad serial killer with a lot of murders under him he'd actually been convicted of molesting an eight-year-old and still allowed on this game show really really crazy i'm sure i will cover it at some point but yeah i just wanted to mention it because i see this week that um yeah nature has got to him and he is gone good riddance so this week's case is a crazy 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 case and i actually heard about this case listening to one of my favorite podcasts morbid a true crime podcast they are amazing if you don't listen to them go ahead and listen to them check them out they i listen to every single episode it's yeah they're just amazing and they did this a couple of years ago, I think now it's like, was it last year? It's sort of, you have to go back um, to find it. But yeah, it's one that stayed with me because it's just really bizarre. And when I was going through what um, cases I wanted to discuss this week, it came to my mind. So here we are. And it is the case of Zach Bowen and A.D. Or Addy Hall. So let's get going. Zach Bowen was a nice, shy man. People liked him. There was nothing particularly special about him or anything to shout about. He was just a nice, average, normal man. He grew up in California and he had the California laid back attitude. Zach was a good student. In fact, he was getting all A's until a turning point in his childhood, which really doesn't seem like it should be a big deal, but to Zach it was. And that was when he lost Homecoming King. Now, being in the UK, I'm not going to pretend to know much about homecoming kings and queens but i believe there's a selection of people that are sort of nominated and then they get voted for the winner and i believe zach was nominated and he turned up and made like 
a joke out of it. He did a comedy thing. He turned up in a cape. And one of the things he said in his speech is that there should be a two-hour napping period every day. And he just wanted to make people laugh, but people didn't get it. And he didn't win Homecoming King. After this, he totally just went off like his grades dropped. And finally, he decided to drop out of school altogether. When he dropped out of school, he moved in with his dad in Washington. Now, this wasn't because him and his mum didn't get on. They did. I think he just wanted a fresh start because not getting Homecoming King really did affect him. It was like a failure to him. So, Zach moved in with his dad in Washington and Zach and his dad went travelling for a bit. They ended up in New Orleans and decided that they were going to settle and they got an apartment together. It was in New Orleans that Zach decided he was going to re-enroll in high school. Now, Lana met Zach while she was visiting New Orleans with a friend. And Lana didn't like home. She wanted to start a new life somewhere. She's like, you know what, New Orleans is amazing. I've met you, we've started dating, so I think I'm just going to move into New Orleans. So her and Zach started really getting on, but Lana fell pregnant quite soon into their dating. Now, Lana was 28 and Zach was only 18. Now, when Lana first met Zach, she believed he was 21 because that like, he worked in a bar, so why wouldn't he be 21? But I think by the time she was pregnant, she knew that he was only 18. Zach was terrified. He was going to be a teen dad, and he was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is scary. Like, oh, my God. But when their son Jackson was born, Zach totally changed and was fully, fully committed. Now, I think this is the thing, isn't it? Like, mums really become a mum as soon as they find out they're pregnant because it's very real. We have the sickness, we have the growing tummy, we have the pains. You know, it is very real from us from the get-go. But I think with men, it doesn't really sink in and they don't really become a father until like, the baby's actually born. And this was exactly the same as Zach. In 2001, Zach went and got his GED and decided to join the army because at that time he was working in the bar, Lana was a stripper, they had this son and he just wanted to do the best for his family. So yeah, he decided to join the army because there were massive benefits and it would really help their family. Now, when he joined the army, there was no war or anything, so there wasn't really much risk. However, in 2001, after September 11th, the Gulf War happened and we all went into Iraq. So, Zach got sent over and he served first first in Kosovo and then he went to Baghdad. Now, while out in Iraq, it really changed him out there. There were a few things that would just stay with Zach for the rest of his life. 
There was a woman called Rachel from his unit. She was one of the only women in his unit. And he was really, really close to her. Unfortunately, she was killed in action. She was actually one of the first women to be killed out there. And then there was a little girl that Zach decided to give some sweets to. The next day, Zach would find out that this little girl was killed for communicating with a soldier. And obviously, Zach just blamed himself for it because it was him that went up to her and gave her the sweets. And then there was a little boy who used to give them groceries from his family shop and they all got on with him and he became like a little member of the community sort of thing. But unfortunately, the boy's family shop was bombed and he was killed along with all of his family. So this left Zach with severe PTSD that he never really got help from. Because back then in 2001, it's like 20 years ago, we didn't really know as much about mental health that we do now. And there wasn't as much help for things like PTSD as there is now. So it just went totally unchecked. Now, Zach started to fail all of his physical tests on purpose because he wanted out. He'd had enough. He just wanted to go home. Um, And eventually it worked. He got the general um, discharge. Now, Zach was a bit bitter that it was only a general discharge. Apparently, if it's a... um, Oh... I didn't write this down and now I can't think of the word. If it's an honourable discharge, it means like your time in the army was impeccable. You didn't do anything wrong. He was like a brilliant soldier. Apparently a general discharge means that you probably did one or two things wrong, but you still had a good service. But it meant that you still got a VA benefit, but the GI Bill educational benefit he was not entitled to because it wasn't an honourable discharge and this left Zach just a bit bitter that he didn't get that because I don't think he thought there was any reason why it wouldn't have been an honourable discharge. I think it wasn't honourable because honourable discharges are usually when like your leg gets blown off or something like that but he just kept failing physical exams so... Where he got home, he basically said to Lana, you know, well, I'm done with the army now. I'm not going back. So I'm going back to being the bartender and you'll have to go back stripping. Lana was pissed. She was really, really pissed because in her eyes, he just chucked away what could be a um, really good career for the family to go back to scrimping and scraping and barely surviving. Now, they had the other problems and... In the end, they just split up and Lana left with the kids. Now, this got to Zach. He was a bit like, what do I do now? Um, and he ended up getting a job in a bar in the French Quarter called the Hogs Bar. It was at the Hogs Bar where he would meet Adrian A.D. Hall. Now, A.D. Hall was 
a free-spirited, feisty-tempered, independent artist who found herself in New Orleans after a rough life in the Northeast States. She was from Carolina. She was a poet. She was a seamstress, an artist, a dancer. She was just living like a free-spirited bohemian life. Like when she first moved to Orleans, she was living in a car before she got an apartment. She was clever and just free and living her life the way she wanted to live it. However, there was also a dark side to Addie. She was a very, very heavy drinker, just like Zach. But Addie was a very, very mean drunk. She would pick on something that was your most insecure thing and, like, dig at it and pick at it. Now, Addie had been molested when she was younger and had a string of abusive relationships as an adult as well. So she also suffered with a bit of PTSD as well from that. And there was just never, like I said, there was never really any help for any mental things back then. I mean, it was still only 20 years ago, but even so, it wasn't really spoke about. So, Zach and Addie started to date a few weeks before Katrina. Now, Zach was very, very popular at the bar, and initially, Addie was just like... Yeah, what's, you know, what is the big fuss about him? Zach would finish finish his shift just before Addy started. Now, I keep saying Addy or AD. I think it's Addy. Um, before Addy had started her shift, so Zach used to hang around and talk to her. And during these times, she warmed up to him. And like I said, they started dating a couple of weeks before Hurricane Katrina hit. Now, when Hurricane Katrina hit, most people in New Orleans were evacuated and left. However, Zach and Adi decided, or Zach and Addy decided they were going to stay and wait it out. And Adi let Zach stay with her in her apartment and wait this hurricane out. Now, Lana wanted zach to leave new orleans with her and the kids and she even said that she doesn't mind if zach bought um ad she just wanted zach to be with her and the kids she didn't want him staying behind you know the kids would miss him and she was worried that something would happen to him if he stayed behind in what would be a disaster but Zach just plainly refused and actually chose to stay with Addy instead of being with his kids, which is a crazy, crazy choice as a mum of two myself. I don't know why you would choose that, especially as Lana said to him, bring Addy along with you. It's fine, you don't have to leave her, she can come. But Zach refused. So... The weeks after the hurricane, Zach and Addie were in their element. There was no running water, there was no electric. They had a bonfire right outside their apartment. 
and this is what they cooked food on, like tins of beans and stuff like that. They stole from supermarkets, they stole drinks from bars, because everything was damaged, ruined, everything was shut down, abandoned. There wasn't many people left behind because most people had gone. So I suppose they had to steal food, otherwise they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't like any supermarkets open for them to go and buy food. Um so yeah, there was no jobs, no bills to worry about. It was more like an extended camping trip rather than a disaster to them. And Adi became known for Addy became known for flashing her breasts at police. And the two bartenders would serve drinks to passers by, like drinks they had stolen, would then serve them to passers by. Now, they and a group of people that did decide to stay behind started to help clean up. They'd pick up trash and try and clear a bit of rubble. They saw themselves as the true New Orleans people because they stayed. Even though they were from Carolina and California, they classed themselves as being true New Orleans because they didn't go, which is just bizarre and silly. And... Yeah, they sort of had a little gang that they were, like, in control of. And New Orleans became their playground. And they absolutely loved it. Now, the army was called in to help with the cleanup, And they asked everybody that had stayed behind to leave so they could get things cleaned up and get New Orleans opened up again. But Addy and Zach refused. Now, this tale of love and colourful colorful survivalism attracted many in the media. And the couple were in several magazines and even featured in the New York Times. But nothing lasts forever. And people started moving back in and New Orleans started to open up again. And this put a real strain on their relationship. Bills started coming in again. There was responsibilities again. Addie just wanted Zach. And she didn't want the baggage of his ex and his kids. So violent fights started to break out between Zach and Addie. And they began to drift apart. Zach and Addy would fight and break up like every other day. They would fight in the streets. They would kick each other out and then run after each other to beg them to come back. It was just a constant up and down drama. It's like they needed the drama and they needed the hate and the arguments and the violence. And the fact that they were both heavy drinkers as well it was just a lot in 2006 Addy discovered that Zach was having an affair and cheating on her with a man Zach had discovered that he was bisexual and yeah decided to have a relationship with a man now Addy loses her shit she goes absolutely ape. She starts yelling homophobic abuse to him in the streets. And 
even called all the women in his phone and told him that Zach had AIDS. Now, at this point, Addy is totally skint. She was even seen having to buy groceries with dimes. She was really, really skint and about to lose her apartment. So she convinces Zach to pay for a new apartment. Zach is working multiple jobs because he has to keep himself, he has to pay child support to Lana, and he's seen these kids at the weekend, so in order to make sure that keeps going, he was working really hard. Now, uh, all their friends would say that Zach was the level-headed person, and AD was the crazy one in this relationship. So they were all shocked at how this relationship ends. But um, Addy decides to talk to Zach and she's like, look, let's get an apartment together. Let's move in properly together in a new apartment and let's really work this out and make this relationship work. And Zach's like, yeah, fine, let's do this. Let's really give it a go. So they find an apartment and they move in together. It's an apartment on North Rampart Street above a voodoo shop. Now, October the 4th, just days after signing the lease, like, they still have boxes that they haven't unpacked. Addy secretly goes and sees their landlord and gets Zach's name taken off the tenancy. This is after Zach has paid for the deposit and paid two months' rent up front. She then chucks Zach out. She's like, no, actually, it's not going to work. I'm sorry. Bye. See you later. You're now homeless. Zach was really upset about this because not only was he upset the fact that, you know, she chucked him out, but he was due to have his kids that weekend. And obviously now he has no home. He can't see his kids either. And this really, really upset Zach. On October the 5th, at around 1pm, after another drink-fueled violent argument with Zach and Addy, Zach strangles Addy to death. He then sexually abuses Addie's corpse and then passes out next to her. Now, in the morning, he wakes up, but he's not shocked, disgusted, terrified, or anything like that. He wakes up and he goes to work, just like it's a normal day. Now, his co-workers do remember him acting sort of out of sorts, wearing sunglasses and a hat, becoming very quiet. But this is one of the things that really fascinates me about true crime, that you really just don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And, you know, people, you can see people at work and in the streets, but you just don't know what they're going home to or what they've just walked out from it's it really does fascinate me now when zach returns home from work he places addy in the bathtub 
and starts to dismember her using a hacksaw and a knife. After he does this, he meticulously cleans his bathroom. And in fact, when the crime scene is found, there isn't any blood to be found in the bathroom. Considering he's just chopped her up in there, that's, that's some doing. It would take Zach four days to decide what he was going to do with Addie's remains. During this time, Zach went about his life normally, which is truly chilling that he could act normal with having his girlfriend's dismembered body in his apartment. Friends who see him in the weeks after Addie's murder said he seemed in good spirits and even said that he was talking about going on holiday so after four days he decided exactly what he was going to do with Addy he gives Addy a haircut and places her head inside a pot on the front of the stove he places her feet and hands inside of another pot on the back burner of the stove. Her legs and arms in a roasting pan inside the oven. And finally, her torso in a black plastic trash bag in the fridge to be dealt with later. Apparently, his intentions were to separate the bone from the flesh as a means to more easily handle the disposing of a body. Many of the times, there were intentions of cannibalism, but the autopsy reports confirmed that there was no signs of cannibalism at all. Addie's friends and co-workers asked where she was when they saw or called Zach. He just told him that she'd left him and decided to move back to North Carolina. Now, some were surprised as they knew how much Addie absolutely loved New Orleans and she couldn't see her leaving. However, they weren't really shocked because they knew that Addie can be very unpredictable and did have a tendency to run away from situations out of her control. Little did they know that Zach knew exactly where she was and what he had done with her. Zach lived in that flat with Addie's body parts bubbling away on the stove for 12 days. 12 days. That's just shy of two weeks with your girlfriend's body parts on your stove. It's just... On the 17th of October 2006, Zach left his friend's house with a bag of cocaine. $20 worth, so it wouldn't be that much, I don't think. Hotel security tape would see Zach going up onto the rooftop bar and he would drink there heavily from 4pm 
to around 8.30pm. Now, the security footage would show Zach pacing back and forth from the roof's railings to the swimming pool that was on the roof, just going back and forth quite a few times. At 8.30pm on the dot, Zach paces one more time, but this time he just launches himself over the edge of the railings and falls five storeys onto the garage parking roof, the parking garage roof. New Orleans police received a disturbing call from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. A guest, now I'm not sure why nobody on the rooftop bar called it in or noticed, um, but a guest called the front desk after hearing a thud and seeing a man's body on the roof of the parking garage. Now, unfortunately, people throwing themselves off roofs and out of windows in hotels isn't an uncommon thing. A lot of people do commit suicide in hotels. I think it's because it's like mutual territory and they can do it anonymously. Um, So, yeah, upon arriving and seeing Zach's body, it was clear he had died on impact. Now, at this time, the police are unsure whether it's murder, suicide, or whether it's a tragic accident on their hands. So, investigators began by searching Zach's body for ID and any sort of signs as to what's happened to him. In the back pocket, they found a Ziploc bag that had Zach's dog tags in it from the army. So they knew exactly who he was. And it also had a folded note that said, for police only. When the police opened this note, they initially thought it was just going to be a suicide note. And it's going to be a clear car, open shut case. And, you know, they can get home for dinner. But th- the note said, this is not accidental. I had to take my life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven, on the stove and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself. Zach Bowen. Now the police are like, shit, this is going to be something. You know, it's not an open shut case. It's just got interesting. So they rushed to Zach's apartment above the Voodoo Spiritual Temple and were confronted from something out of a horror movie. The apartment was cold, freezing cold. The aircon had been set at 60. Now, being in the UK, we use um, Celsius, so 60 Celsius is, like, really hot, but this will be 60 Fahrenheit, which I believe is, I don't know what it is, but it's really cold. (laughs) 
and they noticed that there wasn't any smell considering there's supposed to be a dismembered body in the flat that smell didn't hit them but that would be because it was so cold and also because Addie had been cooked so on the walls there were black coloured spray painted words all over the walls they said things like I love her I loved her I'm a total failure Call Lana Bowen with her telephone number. Help me stop the pain. I'm sorry I couldn't finish. And finally, look in the oven with an arrow pointing towards the stove door. There was trash and beer cans everywhere. Like the flat was a total, total mess. At the scene of Addie's murder, police found her journal with the writings added from Zach. Today is Monday the 16th of October, 2am. I killed her at 1am Thursday the 5th of October. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. So, this was written the day before he launched himself off the hotel. Halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene you were now in, came a while after. I scared myself, not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I loved for one and a half years and then desecrating her body, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known for forever how horrible of a person I am, ask anyone, and decided to quit my jobs and spend the £1,500 cash I had, or $1,500 cash I had, been happy until I killed myself. So that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and any loose ends I may have had. I didn't contact any of my family, so that explained the shock. And had a fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. Many would claim later that the dark voodoo history, sorry, that was the, the journal. So I got so like engrossed in what you said there, I just carried on reading my notes. Um, so yeah, basically it's saying that he calmly strangled her. He stopped and thought about it and carried on. He had no remorse and decided then that he would eventually kill himself, but he was going to spend what money he had having the best time beforehand and that's what he did so many would claim later that the dark voodoo history of the location had something to do with zach's overwhelming mental illness and the violent outbursts of their relationship's final demise because up until then zach was called a level-headed one he had no history of violence, no 
head injuries, you know, killing cats, you know, all that normal stuff that are like telltale signs or anything like that. And he didn't have a bad upbringing, but something just made him snap in one of the worst possible ways. Like he didn't just snap and bash her over the head. He calmly strangled her, put her in the bathtub for four days, dismembered her, cooked her and lived with her in his on his stove for a further 12 days that's some that's just some mental breakdown isn't it now it is pure coincidence that these unrelated matters aligned i believe voodoo in general is actually a healing and kind spiritual practice that is well respected in new orleans Darkness has little to do with it, despite what people normally think when they think about voodoo. Now, as I said, the, the sh- their apartment was on the second floor and below them was a voodoo shop. But the whole building used to be or was on the ground of an old ancient voodoo temple. And that's why people think it's not because it was the voodoo shop, it's the building being a voodoo temple now Addy hall was a murder victim a complicated matter but simply put it was a case of severe domestic abuse turned criminal and i don't think there's anything supernatural about that fact zach's own personal demons took over what was left of his sanity and caused him in the end to end the life of his girlfriend and himself i believe it's dems back to when he was in the army i mean i think there was something there before that because you have to have something going on to be so affected by not being homecoming king but the severe severe ptsd he had when he came out of the army being totally unchecked and then having that crazy time in new orleans during hurricane hurricane katrina it just spiraled now the voodoo spiritual temple was founded in 1990 by priestess miriam and her then husband priest osborne chamani they moved to the Rampart Street location um, a year later in 1991 and remained there until February 2016 when a fire broke out and destroyed much of the building. So sorry, I, I have got that wrong. It wasn't a voodoo shop. It was a voodoo temple that was underneath them. Um, yeah, in 2016, a fire broke out and destroyed much of the building. While the temple itself had been there nearly 26 years, the traditional Creole cottage was much older. Built in 1829 by Perry de Burgess and handed down and sold over the years. 826 North Rampart Street is listed on the city's registry of historic places. Much of the stairs, walls, floors and balconies as well as its large and unique courtyard once used for voodoo ritual and continued tradition by Miriam and the living quarters are original to the historic buildings. Now, tenants of the apartment above the temple 
since the horrific tragedy of 2006. Yes, people lived there. They kept it as an apartment. They carried on renting it out after that happened. I would have just knocked it down personally, but they decided that no, people would love to live in this apartment. Um, They've experienced some paranormal activity, feelings of being watched, voices and walls pressing in have all been reported. The building is currently being leased by another voodoo priestess who has turned it into a museum of the paranormal with tours of the apartment. Yep. The Voodoo Spiritual Temple had moved to a new location on 1428 North Rampart Street, just up the street from its original location and across from Congo Square. So, yeah, it's like a dark tourist place now because people are morbid and people love that sort of stuff. I'm not judging. I have a true crime podcast. I'm telling you about this stuff. I'm one of those people that would probably go to that museum if I ever was in New Orleans, I have to admit. In a documentary about Zach and Addy, as well as other interviews for television series and online media, brought to light a close friend of the ill-fated couple called Margaret Sanchez. Her tears of devastation at the loss of her best friends is very unnerving, especially now. Margaret pleaded guilty and was convicted in 2012 of the death and dismemberment of Jaron Lockhart, a Bourbon street dancer and young mother. So, yeah, a very close friend to Zach and Addy is serving time in prison for murder and dismemberment, just like Zach. It's just bizarre. I will probably do a full episode on Margaret Sanchez and exactly what went down there. But yeah, if you watch any documentaries about Zach and Addy and you see interviews with Margaret Sanchez, you'll see her crying and say how sad she is, which at the time was fine. But now, when you know what she went on to do, it's just really bizarre. So, yeah, that is the case of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press subscribe or follow, depending on where you listen to this. It's one or the other. Uh, Leave a review. Reviews really, really help. If you would like to see photos relating to this case, check me out on check me out Um, have a look on facebook tiktok or instagram just search true crime obsessed mom you will find me on either of those three i will be posting pictures and that to go along with this case i also post little things like throughout the week like reactions to sentences kids who kill male killers female killers things like that as well so if you want some extra content in between the podcast episodes instagram 
TikTok or Facebook, True Crime Obsessed Mom. You will find out there. And yeah, I will be back next Friday. From now on, the weekly podcast will be regular and they will be every single Friday. I'm recording on a Thursday, so they will be uploaded and with you bright and early on Friday morning. So I will speak to you guys next Friday. Thank you very much for listening.